0: Welcome to another version of the Lead On Podcast. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I hope you're having a good summer of both ministry and rest. Summer is a combination of both of those things. Uh, many churches are doing things like vacation Bible schools and summer camps, but also many many ministry leaders uh, are doing things like family vacations and times away for a refreshment and enjoyment. So I hope your summer is having some of both of those experiences. Well, today on the podcast, I want to talk with you again from my book, Seasons of a Leader's Life, about the issue of trusting God's power. And again, I would say if you want to know more about this or uh, read more of what I've written about it, I would reference that book for you, Seasons of a Leader's Life. Uh, leaders often attempt the impossible. We plant churches, uh, start schools, open new mission fields, build facilities, raise money for all types of projects. We attempt impossible things that we do in very public ways, but we also attempt impossible things in working with people directly. We help alcoholics quit drinking. We help pornographers recover their purity. Um, We help adulterers rekindle their marriages and homosexuals reorient their lifestyles. And in some really tragic cases, we help victims of uh, incest or pedophilia to learn to trust again. Whether it's a macro type expression of God's power, like building a major facility or a micro-expression of God's power, like helping one person in a very private way to overcome victimization and learn to trust again. We need God's power to work through us in order to accomplish that which only He can do. Uh, Jesus taught Peter about God's power in a series of stories that are strung together in the Gospels, and the way these stories are put together Uh, communicate something as well as what each individual story means Uh, first of all Jesus came along one day and uh, encountered a group of demons that he cast into a herd of pigs now there are so many things about that story that I'd like to understand or know but let's just take it at face value today Jesus cast demons into pigs And the pigs, uh, maddened by what happened when this possession took place, of course rushed over a cliff to their death. That was a bad day for the pigs. But anyway, it was a clear demonstration of God's power. The result of that was that people who saw the encounter and the experience asked Jesus to leave their area. So the first demonstration of God's power resulted in Jesus being asked to leave. And when he left, he traveled on to encounter a man named Jairus. Jairus fought his way through the crowd and appealed to Jesus to come and heal his daughter. So Jesus agreed to do so and starts moving his way toward that man's house. On the way, a a woman brushes up against Jesus. And Jesus stopped and said, you know, who touched me? And before anyone could step forward, Peter essentially said, Lord, a a, a lot of people are touching you. What difference does it make? But Jesus was undeterred. He said, no, power has gone out from me. And he wanted to meet the recipient of that power and the person who had faith in him to access that power by just touching him. So a woman who had a 12-year hemorrhage stepped forward and explained her situation to Jesus. And then Jesus said, your faith is has made you well go in peace so this is the second example of Jesus of God's power being demonstrated through Jesus a woman was healed and it is a precursor to what the next to the next story and that is while this delay was taking place Jairus's daughter died and word came to him and Jesus said she's not dead she's only asleep and the crowd laughed at him now Think about that phrase. They laughed at Jesus. Jesus went to her home, sent everybody away except Peter, James, and John, Jairus, and his wife, and took them in with the girl's body. Jesus said a very simple command, which could be a voiced prayer. He said, child, <coughs> get up. And she did. Peter had now experienced God's power in three distinct ways. First of all, he had seen God's God's power at work through Jesus in casting demons um, into pigs. And then second, healing a woman in a crowd. And third, now restoring a girl to life. In the first instance, those who saw God's power demonstrated through the pig's death feared God's power and asked Jesus to leave the area. In the second place, Uh, No one except Jesus recognized uh, what was happening when God's power was demonstrated through him into the life of this uh, uh, ailing woman. And in the third case, uh, when Jesus promised to do something truly miraculous and bring a girl back to life, uh, people laughed at him. Now these three stories are three different examples of how God's power was demonstrated through Jesus in the lives of his followers. And they also illustrate Three different ways that people respond to God's power or to the promise of God's power being demonstrated. First, some people want to avoid it. Uh, They're afraid of God's power being demonstrated because it's out of their control. Uh, They're afraid of asking for God's power to be demonstrated because if he answers no, then they somehow feel that will diminish their faith or somehow reveal that God is not um, evident or working in their situation. So some people avoid... God's power and avoid expressions of or requests for God's power to be demonstrated. Uh, some other people want to ignore it. Uh, they, they, they don't recognize when God's power is at work and they ignore it by either missing the moment of seeing God at work or taking credit for it or attributing it to something else. Uh, for example, you know, here at the seminary I, I sometimes talk about the miracles that took place in making our relocation possible and Uh, Sometimes people say, well, you know, is that really a miracle? Well, if you lived through it and you saw the desperation that we were experiencing and the hopelessness of our situation, you would say, yes, those were, those were miracles. We, we don't ignore what God did. We recognize what God did. We don't take credit for that which only God could accomplish, nor in hindsight do we try to explain it away. We simply say, no, in the moment, we know the situation as it was and God was at work. And so we don't ignore His power. We welcome it or we embrace it or we acknowledge it. And then third, the third story is that uh, some people laugh when leaders uh, challenge them to trust God's power. You know, some people hear our dreams and they say, well, that's impossible, that could never happen. And while they might not laugh, they do uh, uh, explain away or they do uh, uh, brush off what we've said as if something like that could never take place. I think about some of my ministry experiences where I've proposed really outrageous things like building a new church campus on another location or uh, reformatting a seminary, uh, I mean, a state convention, I should say, or relocating a seminary or doing some of the things that I've done in my, in my life in ministry. Uh, I look back on them and I remember the first time I brought these things up, people kind of shook their head like, well, that could never happen or that won't work or that, that's too big of a dream. But God's power made those things possible. And so it's easy to sort of laugh off or sort of brush off what God can do and not recognize that it's in the most desperate of situations and the most challenging of situations that God's power can be the most clearly demonstrated. You know, emerging leaders, younger leaders, must develop this unshakable conviction. God has power, and we must have confidence in him to exercise his power through us appropriately. This means we must learn to trust God no matter how impossible, improbable or unlikely our situation is or the circumstances seem. We have to trust God to accomplish what sometimes other people say can't be done. And we have to trust God to change people and to deliver them from all kinds of chaotic life situations and to perform in them what only he can do to change them uh, through conversion and then to transform them uh, through the discipleship process. So, we have to learn to trust God's power. We have to embrace his power as it works through us to make a difference in the lives of both organizations and people around us. We wanna avoid these mistakes of avoiding dependence upon or even acknowledgement of God's power ignoring God's power when it is demonstrated through us and explaining it away or giving credit where credit is not due or finally laughing it off or brushing it off or saying, no, that could never happen here. The needs are too great. The circumstances are too daunting. Um, The personal issues are just too too strong or are too difficult. Uh, God can't really do anything about this situation. We have to learn to trust God's power. Now, I've had some remarkable moments in a lifetime of ministry leadership in which I've seen God's power demonstrated in concrete and specific ways. Uh, A number of years ago, when I was a younger pastor, we had a man in our church named J.W. He had a series of health problems, and he had been through all sorts of treatments, and frankly, nothing had worked. Uh, he He had degenerated to the point that he was in a coma, Uh, His family had assembled at the hospital, and they called me and asked me if I would make one final hospital visit with them. The expectation was that J.W. would likely die in the night. His wife asked me to come, and then she said, and I would like for you to anoint J.W. with oil and pray for him to be healed. She said, I know it's in the Bible, and I know it's what we need to do, and I'm asking that God would heal my husband even at this late hour. Well, I was, uh, frankly, a little reluctant about that. Uh, I knew how long his illness had lasted and how slowly he had declined, and I knew how uh, serious his circumstances were. I knew he was already in a coma. And I thought, you know, that this woman was really just grasping at straws and holding on to any slim hope that she might have. And and I thought, you know, this is anointing business, I mean, I know it's in the Bible, and, and I'm not opposed to doing it, but, but I just really wonder if it's the right thing in this situation. But, you know, I'm a pastor, and I care about people. I wanted to bring her some comfort, even though I didn't have much hope for JW. So I called one of the deacons of our church, and I got a little vial of oil, and we went out to the hospital together. And I remember you know, going in the room and saying to the family, uh, thank you for calling me, and uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to minister to you. And I sort of worked my way around the room and had some quiet moments with different ones. And, and then I, I got to JW's wife, and she said, Pastor, we're really thankful that you came, but I hope you're prepared to anoint JW with oil and pray for him to be healed because God is the only hope we have now, and, and we really believe that God wants to heal him. So I explained to her that while I was willing to, to do this for her, uh, that there was no magic in the oil, that it, it wasn't some kind of holy elixir that I was going to pour on JW, and there wasn't going to be any instant healing because of the oil, and yes, that we were going to pray, and we were going to trust God's power, and basically, I gave her a lot of disclaimers to sort of get God off the hook if nothing too dramatic happened, you know. I was afraid the woman was grasping at straws, and while I was trying to be supportive, I was also trying to walk that fine line of being realistic. The man was dying. He was already in a coma. He'd been ill for months. It was time to accept reality, but I cracked open that vial of oil, and I put a little oil on JW's brow, and I explained the symbolic nature of oil and how it represents the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and i took jw by the hand and his whole family joined hands with me and uh i cried out to god with every bit of fervency i had praying that god would heal this man restore him fully to life and uh, bring him back to us uh, healthy and able to continue on not only in his family but in his ministry work well we finished that prayer and had some more time with the family and then the deacon and I excused ourselves, and we went on home. And I remember in the car on the way home saying to him, yeah, I'm glad we were able to do that, but I don't think J.W. will live through the night. So in the morning, I expect to be back at the hospital or maybe even sometime in the night, and I'll let you know when, when that when that phone call comes. So I dropped the deacon off, went home, went to bed, slept through the night, and when the alarm went off the next morning, I remember thinking, uh, wow, I slept through the night, no phone call. I uh, wonder what happened with J.W. So I got ready and uh, went out to the hospital to make my first stop of the morning. I tapped on J.W.'s uh, hospital room door, and a very strong male voice from inside replied, Come in. So I slowly opened the door. And to my surprise, J.W. was sitting up in the bed eating breakfast. (laughs) He said, Hey, Pastor, uh, come on in. But if you don't mind, I'd like to keep working on breakfast. I, I woke up a couple of hours ago, and I am really hungry. Uh, I, they, they, they checked me over, and they, they finally brought me some food. So come on in and have a seat. But if, if you don't mind, I'm just going to keep working on this breakfast. Well, I didn't mind at all. In fact, I, I was beaming with this huge smile and this, this shocked face. I went in, and I sat down by him, and I said, J.W., w- what happened? And he said, well, I, I don't know. He said, I, I, I was really sick, and, you know, I've been, I've been going to the doctor for months, and I've just been getting worse. And, and I came in last night, and, or came in yesterday, and, and I guess the, the, you know, family said I, I, I went in a coma, and, and they thought I was a goner. I said, well, that's all true, J- J.W., I, I came by last night, and, and, and it looked pretty bleak, and we prayed for you to be healed. And he smiled and said, well, I guess God answered that prayer. As he kept shoveling in oatmeal and looking at me with a big smile, he said, I guess God answered that prayer. Well, I guess he did. That day changed me profoundly. That was the first time that I had ever seen God intervene in a dramatic moment in a health crisis and take a person from really the doorstep of death back to to health in front of me. Uh, J.W. went home from the hospital a few days later and lived a number of years. I don't know how much longer he lived. He lived years longer while I was his pastor, and then I left, and he continued to live several years after that. God healed him that night in that hospital. God worked dramatically and powerfully to bring a man back from the dead. Um, I I was elated. I was dumbfounded. (laughs) I was also humbled because I realized that, frankly, I didn't really expect that to happen, that the night before when I had prayed that prayer, I, I was really being more of a comfort to the family and, and going through the, the, the routine of it and some, in some ways the ritual of it because I, I wanted to do what was expected and what I thought would bring comfort. But honestly, I was not expecting to come back to that hospital the next morning and see J.W. eating breakfast and talking to me as if nothing had happened. God humbled me and helped me see that his power is real and that his power can be demonstrated in all kinds of circumstances, including bringing a person back from a very serious illness to a point of health in a very short period of time. Now, over the years, I've had other incidents where God healed a person in a dramatic fashion like this, but frankly, there have been many other times when God has answered no to my prayers and People have either continued in their illness or died. That doesn't discount or invalidate the, God's ability to work because I've seen that in circumstances where it's according to His purpose, He is able to work powerfully to bring about healing. But taking this principle beyond this, the healing stories, I've also seen God at work in other ways, demonstrating His power. I've, I've seen Him bring healing to relationships that I thought were completely broken. I've seen him move uh, to bring people uh, to work with me or to bring people into my life at key times or important times, just the right person at just the right time to accomplish his purposes. I've seen God provide financially, bringing significant or amazing resources to bear on a situation at just the right time. Uh, I've seen God work in my life to give me insight into situations that I, I couldn't have had on my own. I'm thinking right now of a couple of different stories where uh, I was just simply overwhelmed by the moment of what someone was saying to me and the counsel they were asking of me and me not knowing exactly what to do, but in the moment with a quick prayer of asking God for guidance, then laying out a scenario of how we could go forward in a relationship or laying out a scenario of how God would work out a situation for His glory and our good, and then Uh, It just coming to they're just coming an awareness in the room That is what we need to do and that's what god is revealing and i'm sitting there thinking I have never thought those thoughts before in my life that could only have come from god And so we see god's power demonstrated. He's his power is demonstrated through healing through provision through giving us insight Through bringing people into our lives through orchestrating circumstances God's power is real and it's at work around us and as leaders it's really important that we, not, that we not lose sight of this. You know, it's possible for the concerns of ministry, the struggles of ministry, uh, the, the defeats that we have from time to time uh, to really beat us down. It's also possible for bitterness to spring up in our lives and, and really sap uh, from us the hope that we might have, that God might work in any particular situation or work through our lives as leaders. I saw this illustrated also a number of years ago in my first pastorate. I was a young and energetic and zealous guy that had come to pastor his first church, and like a lot of young pastors, I was convinced that we were going to win the world of faith in Jesus Christ by this Friday. I was so excited, so eager, so urgent about my task. And soon after I arrived in that community, I went to a pastor's luncheon. And just by uh, you know, circumstance and providence, I sat across from a veteran pastor of an older church in our community, and I uh, introduced myself to him and was delighted that I was getting to sit across from this veteran leader. Uh, I really was excited about soaking up from him his insights about ministry in our community or learning from him some things I could do to really uh, learn about how to go forward and all that. And so he asked me uh, to, about my about my church and about my coming and and I just spontaneously poured it out. You know, I just started telling him about my church and my calling and my arrival and the early weeks of my work and the months that uh, what I saw happening in the next few months. And then I laid out some of where I hope we'd be in a year, in three years, five years. And I was just kind of laying out my vision and and where I was headed with all of this was was to try to ask him as a veteran leader, a, an experienced man in our community, you know, what advice do you have for me? What counsel do you have? What, where, what do you, you know, where do you, uh, uh, what do you think I should do first? Or, or where do you think I need to back off? I mean, I really wanted his input, you know. And when I, but when I finished my story, I, I finished telling him, you know, where, all of that. And I said, and this is where we're going and this is where I hope, we'll, you know, how we'll get there, et cetera, et cetera. Before I could even answer, ask him my questions, uh, he Said, "Well, that's uh, that's quite a vision, but you'll get over it." I sat there, slack jawed. It was one of the truly, one of the few truly speechless moments that I've had in my life. That's some vision, he said. You'll get over it. And then he spilled out some of his own bitterness and frustration and negativity about his ministry and about the ministry in general. Now, I don't want to be overly harsh about this brother. He may have been just having a bad day. But that day profoundly impacted me because I realized that the contrast between my youthful exuberance and vision for the future and his Bitterness, negativity, and discouragement about the future were quite strong. The contrast was quite strong. Well, I made some small talk with him over lunch and then diverted the conversation into some other areas and got in the car on our way home. And as I drove home, I remember praying out loud, talking with God as I drove, and I prayed a prayer something like this. Lord, don't ever Don't ever let that happen to me. Don't ever let me become a dream crusher who doubts your power. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be a dream crusher. I I don't want to be a person who speaks full of bitterness and negativity and discouragement about the future. I want to be a dream builder. I want to be a person that believes that God is at work, God will be at work, and that God's power is evident today in the ministry that we're doing for him. And I want you to be that way as a younger leader or as a leader today. If you're discouraged, if you're consumed with bitterness that's leading you to negativity about your life, your ministry, your calling, take a big step back. Ask God to help you understand the source of this discouragement, bitterness, and negativity. Ask God to help you understand what happened that crushed your dream or or, or put a damper on your vision. Ask God to rekindle in you a passion for him and for understanding how his power can be demonstrated through your life and ministry. Take a giant step back spiritually and say, God, uh, renew me revive me and one way that that can happen is if you can reflect back over your lifetime and think about significant ways that God's power has been evident in your life and has been demonstrated through you look we all go through seasons of uh, dryness in our devotions and uh, sparseness in our in our uh, results and uh, we all go through seasons of of difficulty and 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 heartache There's no escaping that in ministry. But if you've been in one of those seasons and it's gotten the best of you, it's sort of overwhelmed you, uh, you find yourself uh, looking at life through a dark shroud every day, take a giant step back and say, God, renew and revive me. Help me rekindle my confidence in your power. Show me again in your word how you've worked uh, in those days in the people that are described in Scripture. And then, Lord, show me also by bringing to my mind memories of how you've worked in my life to demonstrate your power over the years. Man, if it will help you, get out a notebook and just journal some different ways that God has shown his power through your life over the years. How has God worked in your life physically? How has God worked in your life to provide financially? How has God worked to orchestrate circumstances to your favor? How has God brought people into your life at just the right time? How has God given you the exact word to say at just the right moment in a witnessing encounter or in a counseling session or in the middle of an administrative challenge in your organization? How has God showed up with just the right words at just the right time? These are evidences of how God's power has at work through us. Make a list of those and reflect on those and remember those and celebrate how God's power has been real in your life. And perhaps through the rekindling of discovering God's power in his word and the reviewing of discovering how God has worked in your life in the past, you can find a new confidence in God's power for your present and for the future. Ministry leaders face daunting challenges. The challenges of doing things on a macro level like building buildings and creating organizations and raising money, that's the big stuff. That takes God's power. But dealing with people on a personal level, helping victims re, uh, gain trust, helping alcoholics and addicts get over their, uh, their uh, affliction, uh, working with couples whose marriages are struggling to find a way to rekindle relationships. On the micro level, God also God's power also must be demonstrated. Leaders must trust God's power. His power is real. Ask him to demonstrate it through you and your work today. And attempt something that can only be done in his power, believing that in the moment his power is needed, God will show up and do what only he can do. God's power is essential as we lead on.